Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you here on a Thursday afternoon. In about an hour from now, we're going to go live to Premier Jason Kenney, uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw. So a lot to get to, obviously, questions about what next week has in store for us. Are we going to see restrictions lifted? What is back to school going to look like? And do Alberta's uh, current case numbers, hospitalization numbers, our value, positivity rate, all of that, do they lend themselves to an easing of restrictions. Certainly, I think a lot of questions as well about vaccinations, something the first ministers were discussing today. Uh, the Alberta government is uh, pointing out that uh, in terms of uh, on a per capita basis, Alberta leads the provinces in terms of vaccinations, which is good. I, I suppose if we look beyond uh, Canada's borders, though, uh, this country lags. And so maybe it's not something to get too excited about. But I think when it comes to vaccinations, uh, there's there's a balance to be had between having realistic expectations, but also demanding a sense of urgency in how we approach this. And so that falls to the federal government, that falls to the Alberta government. Uh, joining us to talk more about uh, all of this, uh, and in particular the return to school and uh, how COVID and potential variants of this virus could impact kids. Very pleased to welcome the program here this afternoon, uh, Dr. James Kellner who is a professor and head of the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Calgary, uh, coming School of Medicine, specializing uh, in uh, areas around infectious diseases. He's also part of the National uh, COVID Immunity Task Force. Uh, Dr. Co- uh, Dr. Kellner, great to have you with us here this afternoon. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Nice to be here. Uh, your thoughts on, on uh, vaccinations. I mean, obviously, it's uh, incredibly remarkable that we have uh, vaccines yeah. developed and approved. We've got more coming. I know there's been some frustration about the pace thus far. Uh, what's your sense of how this is all going? Well, I think it's, um, and not to sound like a Pollyanna about it, but I think it's quite remarkable that we have the vaccines coming uh, at all. And, um, you know, imagine January 2021 without vaccines on the horizon. Yeah. Um, it would be quite something different. So, uh it is, um, I think we'll see sort of a couple big stages of vaccines. What we're in right now is the, the early days of the vaccine where we know that there's loads of people who are really at the top of the list of who should receive vaccine, but we're at a time of vaccine scarcity. There's not enough to go around, and that's the way all across the world. Um, I expect we'll, by middle of the year or, or so, we'll be at the point where there won't be that scarcity anymore. And then the bigger issue is going to be how do we deliver all those doses when we have unlimited number of doses. And so we're not there yet. And so the challenge right now, huge challenge with um, being able to um, make the right decisions about who should be at the top of the line to get the vaccines um, and then actually delivering them. And then that's compounded 
by the difficulty with delivering the vaccines, particularly the Pfizer vaccine, which has the very stringent uh, freezer requirements. And so um, it's not surprising in my view that it's been a little bit slow getting going. Um, and then, you know, over the Christmas holiday time, even though vaccine was delivered most every day over the holiday in Alberta, uh, you know, people could always say there should have been more vaccine delivered. But I think we're starting to see evidence of a real ramping up of the vaccine delivery program. And, and there is an urgency too. Maybe what we're seeing right now in the UK gives us even additional urgency in, in rolling this out. Um, there, there is concern with some of these variants, whether they're crossing into what would technically be called different strains, whether it poses any problems for vaccines. What, what are you seeing so far? Any signs of concern? Yeah, and so that really remains to be seen. You know, it's, it's astonishing when we see anything happen with COVID now, how many people from around the world suddenly focus on it. And what ends up happening yeah. is we get so much information coming out in such a short period of time that it's really sort of hard to sort the, tru- the truth of it from, you know, sort of the, the signal from the noise. And so far, it seems that with the new variant, especially the UK variant, that what we can say is... It, it may look like it's more transmissible, but it doesn't look like it's causing more severe disease. And mm-hmm. it doesn't look like there's going to be an issue with the vaccine. But I, I, I can't say that with complete certainty because we simply don't know yet. The, um, and, we, and we don't know enough yet about how, how broadly the vaccines cover um, any kind of variation that could come up. That seen with the, the UK strain or that seen with, with other strains. So we see over time, it's definitely something to keep um, track of. So, uh, so far, you can't say there's a concern with the existing vaccines. Well, and that's encouraging, but as you say, something to keep a close eye on. What, what does seem and I don't want to say apparent, but it, certainly there's a suggestion that the the uh, variant we've seen in the UK and these changes to the spike protein, which might make it easier to, to you know, kind of latch onto our cells, as it were, that this could potentially make uh, kids more susceptible. Is is there evidence suggesting that that's the case? Well, there is some with that. And again, that's it's still an emerging thing, and it depends on what there's all kinds of biases and the testing and all that. Um, but it does appear that... Um, um, overall, uh, more transmissible, probably. Um, and in particular, uh, children and young adults under the age of 20, um, a little more so um, increased uh, transmissibility. Um, that's not definitive, but there's definitely evidence pointing that direction to think about that. And so that does have implications when you think of the return to schools and, um, and other activities, sports and uh, other youth gathering activities. Um, uh, if you have um, a variation of the virus that is now becomes predominant and spreads more readily amongst children and young adults, then then you have to be concerned. Now, it remains the case that, um, and, and we're understanding better and better, that the great majority of children and young adults who get, I mean, by young adults, I mean, up, you know, adolescents up to 20, up to 19, um, the, the great majority of them have a symptomatic disease or minimally symptomatic disease. And so it's not, uh, but, but, the, but the concern is, the forward transmission to adults and others who are at particular risk of getting more severe disease. And so, so yeah, it's a concern, but it's not a concern for sure yet in Canada. I mean, the, the variant strain has been identified in various places across the country, but it hasn't shown evidence of emerging as the predominant strain as we've seen in the UK. But we'd be foolish not to be having it on our, you know, uh, line of sight to be thinking that this is something that could come here for sure. Yeah. And even the strain we do have, I think, you know, the, the issue of how schools factor in, I mean, you know, just anecdotally, uh, the experience in our households, uh, our son got it, we think, at school. Yeah. Um, you know, and we 
tried our best to contain it. Somehow our daughter ended up getting it, still tried to contain it. Then, then it made its way to me. And fortunately, my wife didn't get sick. And fortunately, the three of us were, you know, fair, mostly fairly mild cases. But yeah, it's, it's an example of how it can get into households. And then conversely, I mean, obviously, there's a way the kids are getting it. There's a way it's getting into schools. So schools don't exist in, in a bubble by any stretch, do they? No, and I think it's important. First, I want to say I'm sorry to hear that you've gone through this, but I'm glad to hear it sounds like you went through it in a mild way. So Mm -hmm. um, I hope you had that behind you. Um, Yeah, I mean, the thing, you know, with the schools is this, that in attorney, I was uh, at the beginning thought, okay, well, the the evidence that the schools didn't have anything to do with transmission and there was no concern was true when the level of disease was was low in the community. And so when children went back to school in the fall and the level of disease in Alberta was very low, then it, then it was okay. And there were, there were some outbreaks, but they were minor outbreaks. And we had a very low threshold for calling an outbreak. And many of them weren't actually outbreaks in the school. Just kids come into the school who happened to have got it elsewhere. But as the autumn progressed, and as we saw more and more cases and getting into the end of October and November when things really started taking off, so more and more cases where there were outbreaks in schools where you saw outbreaks actually propagated in the schools. And then it became evident and, and evidence came from elsewhere as well around the world to say that schools can actually contribute to increasing the disease in the community. They don't just reflect what's going on in the community, but they can actually contribute to it. And that was part of the reason for the choice made by the, um, by the Alberta government to close schools uh, um, you know, earlier than anyone else in Canada did because of the dramatic increase in cases we were seeing and the association of schools with that. So I think that um, uh, you, it's, it remains a complex issue, but you can't say that the schools aren't a place where transmission can occur, and, and, and we have to pay attention to that for sure. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we're going to get some announcement today regarding support yeah. for schools, but I, I think the plan is still to send kids back next week. Um, and look, I mean, things have leveled off a bit in Alberta. The, the daily case count has come down. The positivity rates come down a bit. Hospitalizations and deaths, unfortunately, not quite coming down just yet and remain at a concerning level. So we've seen some signs of improvement, but uh, have, have we seen enough, I guess? Yeah, and I think that's the key question, right? And so... Um, have we seen enough, you know, the leveling off and then, and, but have we seen enough decline? If you really want to say that you're getting on top of a wave, one thing you want to see is successive weeks of significant decline in all your indicators, your number of cases positive, all, all the things you mentioned, that both the, um, the testing and new cases every day as well as the so-called lagging indicators of hospitalization, ICU, and death. We haven't seen that for long enough yet in Alberta to be confident that we're truly sort of getting on top of this. I hope we're headed in that direction for sure. And, um, you know, the um, thing we don't know yet is um, exactly what the impact of the Christmas New Year period will be. Although we had um, much more strict uh, uh, restrictions in place, um, you know, human nature being what it is and all the kerfuffle of things that went on over that time, you just sort of uh, don't know yet. We won't know still for another week or two whether we see any kind of surge upwards related to that or whether we continue to level off and in fact decline. I think that, you know, in, in the fall, the idea of going back to school was a good idea when you could have low levels of disease in the community. Don't have that yet. When you had good testing and contact tracing. We have good testing, but we don't, we're don't. we still struggling to get on top of contact tracing, although it's improving a lot, but we still don't know about 60% of the cases. And when you can avoid the things that we talked about, crowd, that we talked about crowding and congestion in close quarters. And it's still winter in Alberta, even though it's in warmer days now. And the, a lot of the school facilities are old physical plants and the 
you know, optimizing ventilation in the schools, minimizing crowding in the schools, um, are easier said than done. I think the schools have done an amazing job of trying to deal with it in Alberta as well as possible. Um, but we still can't, you know, still have to go inside to be at school. And um, in, in, in uh, some pretty old schools where you don't have perfect ventilation, and I, and I worry that um, going back next week, just fully opening things uh, is, is risky. I, I completely, as a, as a pediatrician and a parent, understand the desire to get children back to school for all the uh, other reasons why it's a good thing to be in school. But I think it's risky at this time. Right, well, uh, we'll await further uh, clarity from the province on all of this later on this afternoon. Dr. Kellner, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Appreciate your insight on this. Thanks a lot, Rob. Take care. Bye. All right. You as well. Uh, that is uh, Dr. James Kellner, uh, Professor, University of Calgary, uh, Director of the uh, Department of Pediatrics, uh, the subspecialty in infectious diseases. He's also part of the National uh, COVID-19 Immunity Task Force. So his thoughts on uh, some of these big questions, uh, where we're at with vaccinations, some of the concern around these uh, variants, or the UK variant in particular, you know, where the kids are more susceptible, the challenge posed by um, a more contagious strain. And let's hope we can keep a lid on that. Like you think about everything we put in place in Alberta to try to get that R value under one and aiming for 0.08. And that's difficult. And the concern with this variant is that you could tack on additional 0.6 to that. So instead of putting in all these restrictions and getting it down to 0.08, you put in all these restrictions and you still got an R value of 1.4. If you got an R value at 1.4, it doesn't sound like a lot. I mean, it just sounds like a mathematic kind of academic sort of point. But that means things are, are skyrocketing. And you're seeing that right now in the UK. Cases are skyrocketing. Uh, the UK just had its first day recently of over 1,000 deaths in a single day. That's more deaths in one day than Australia has had through this whole pandemic. And they keep setting records there. So, yeah, the evidence is looking more compelling that, that there is uh, an easier transmissibility associated with this strain. So something to be aware of. And like I said earlier, I think it gives more urgency to, to rolling out vaccines. So we'll get an update on all of that where we stand with restrictions. I suspect some questions on, on some of these political uh, controversies as well for the premier. He'll be up at uh, four o'clock alongside Alberta's chief medical officer of health. We'll take a time out here. 403-974-8255 is our number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.